of Judges chapter 17 is where we find ourselves tonight. Judges chapter 17. Hey, my brother. Coming solo tonight, huh? Yeah. All right. You made it. That's all that matters. Judges chapter 17. Let's go before the Lord. Father, as we get close to the end of this book now, Lord, we ask that you would just continue to lead and guide our hearts and our minds, Father, as we look into your word. Lord, that you would speak to us, and Father, just reveal to us all that you want to speak to us. We know you're so faithful to do that, and we ask that we would have hearts to receive, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move freely in our midst and in this place, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So really, with this section of the book of Judges, actually these last final chapters, uh, we've really... uh, We've stopped looking at judges. We won't run into any more judges. Um, uh, Samson was our last judge, and we're not going to really run into any more judges or heroes or deliverers. Really, these last five chapters are almost like an appendix, or they've kind of just um, added on. And I, would, I believe they're there for is just to, um, to give us an idea of what it was like to live in the nation in these 300 plus years when the judges ruled. Um, you know, uh, a little over three, well, a little bit more than a little over 300 years, these judges uh, would come and go. The people, you remember our cycle, they would, they would just turn away from the Lord, start doing their own things, and then they pretty much got involved in their own thing. It became their whole life, and they turned away from anything of the Lord, and that, whatever they turned their lives to, would enslave them. And then, Eventually, the slavery would just be so miserable, they would finally cry out to the Lord and repent, and he would send a deliverer, and the deliverer would encourage them to walk with the Lord. And so we kind of saw the cycles, and we spent a lot of time talking about really those heroes or those judges or those deliverers, and and, uh, we really didn't get into a lot of the detail of what was really going on in the nation that, that got them there. Remember, for some years, they were in, for some periods, they were enslaved up to 40 years, and so, um, you know, we don't have a, uh, maybe a real good insight on what it was like to live during those times and how bad it was. And I believe these last five chapters give us, uh, uh, and they're here for a very clear reason, just to illustrate how lawless, immoral, uh, how far they had walked away from God, and how just the lack of the Lord in both their personal and their national life was how, how little or zero influence that he had. And so we kind of get that flavor of how bad things were during these times. And chapters 17 and 18, which we'll look at tonight, we'll talk about this one group, uh, these, the Danites, and, and uh, well, and uh, another family in Ephraim that kind of connects to the Danites. We'll see that. And then chapters 20, uh, 19 through 21, we'll just see how far down the nation has slid into murder and rape and we'll go into civil war and all sorts of uh, really kind of horrific things. Now, if, if you weren't studying through the Bible, if you weren't going through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter and book by book, you would never read these books these five chapters because there's just nothing uh that you would you would you wouldn't 
you know, you would you just wouldn't want to go there because it's just not anything really happy or good or nice to talk about. It's all pretty miserable and even next week it's just kind of awful news really and terrible which is one of the great reasons uh, you know that we teach through the bible because we we see everything that god has to say for us if we were just to do you know series and sermonettes on things not that they're wrong but you know you kind of pick things and you know you get little pieces here and there but you don't really get the whole word of god and uh Certainly, most people don't want to talk about these kind of sections in the Bible. And that's why I think it's so important that we do go through them, that we'll cover these things in, in a way we're forced to, if I could use that term, to, to look at these things because, well, God's preserved them for us. And so, though they're not bright news and happy news and there's not, you know, they live happily ever after, maybe as we saw in some of those uh, judges we read, yet nonetheless, I think... Um, we'll get a very good understanding or at least a pretty good flavor for what it was like living in a nation that just forsook God and yet they knew about him and he had spoken to him, he had delivered them, he'd done great things, but they abandoned that and what depths they go to then because of that. So with that being said, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying in my ears, here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So again, um, you know, uh, these stories reveal the hearts of the people living at that time. And these kind of maybe crazy behind the scenes things that were happening and, and how they were worshiping or, or the lack of worshiping God here. And, and we get this kind of introduction. There's this man in the mountains of Ephraim and his name was Micah and he stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his mom. <laughs> you know, you, you think maybe you have a dysfunctional family. Well, okay, here we go. I mean, this is a, a, another great one here. Now, remember, 1,100 pieces of silver was the same amount that each one of the Philistine lords, the five of them, would give Delilah for turning in Samson. So this was a huge amount of money, okay? So obviously she had some money, and for some reason, we're not told, her son steals this sizable amount. And when she finds out it's missing, she basically calls out this curse on whoever stole the money, her son heard that curse, and for some reason, uh, you know, he was afraid of the curse or, you know, worried about the curse. And so when he heard the curse, he decided to own up and say, here's the 1,100 pieces of silver. Uh, I, I, I'm the one that took it. And maybe she just didn't like that, uh, you know. Um, you know, he didn't like the curse or whatever it was. And, and you notice uh, at the end of verse uh, 2 there, when she finds out that her son took it, instead of having some sort of discipline or, hey, what are you thinking about? You're stealing from your own mother kind of a thing. You know, basically she takes back the curse and pronounces a blessing on it from the Lord. So does that, does that tell you one minute she's cursing whoever's doing it or she is? And then when she gets it because it's her son and she gets the money back, she's, you know, blessing him in the Lord. So, again, 
uh, a dysfunctional family to say the least, and of course that's just the scratching the surface of this family here. Um, let's read on, because uh, we'll see what her heart's really like and his. Verse 3, so when he had returned the 1,100 uh, shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my, for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. So verse 4 says, Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave it to the silversmith, and he made a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. Now, I don't know if you noticed that, but this huge contradictions here. She's, you know, pronounced this curse, and we don't know what it was. It kind of scared him a little bit, maybe. He gives it back to her, says, I stole it. She then pronounces a, a blessing of the Lord. And again, it seems like what she might have said is, you know, if I get back some of that 1,100 pieces of silver that were shekels of silver that, that were missing, you know, I'm going to give some of it to the Lord and dedicate some of it to the Lord, this 200 shekels of it. And how does she do it? She takes it and has a molded image idol and a carved idol. And the difference is, you, you, I think it's pretty clear to see, a molded image, they would just take all the silver, melt it down, and form some sort of image, some sort of idol, and, and that would be the molded one. Uh, the carved one is usually it was carved out of wood, and then they would just overlay it with precious metals. In this case, it would be silver. So she had these two things. Now, how, how could you want to uh, dedicate it to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which is the proper name of, of, of you know, God Almighty or Yahweh, some people would say that. And yet the dedication was in making idols, which is completely contrary to what God had told them to do, right? And um, again, like she was giving back to the Lord and her way of giving it back was to make idols. It just kind of gives you some of the crazy ideas and the crazy kind of thinking that was going on in the, in the people's minds. It's kind of like this, and maybe this will help us understand a little more, at least as to how I kind of get it. Do you ever, you know, read in the news or see in the newspaper or read online or whatever, however you get your news about these uh, crazy um, drug cartel guys down in Mexico, how they'll build these churches and give this great amount of money to the church down there and, and, and do all this stuff. It's kind of like... That's kind of kind of how I, I I look at that, you know. Today it's kind of like, you know, it's like you talk about God and your life is live contrary to that, and you're doing contrary thing to Him. But somehow you think because you're giving some money or you're building some churches or you're donating something to some church that, you know, that you're okay and your whole life and your whole way of thinking, even though it's contrary to God, because you're doing that, somehow those two will balance out on the scales somehow. And, and, and that was really going on from God. And you can see how far away their thinking is from the Lord. You know, they're, they're using his name, but it has no meaning. You know, it, but it kind of happens today as well, right? I mean, in many places, you, you, they mix a little bit of truth into a bunch of lies. 
You know, you take a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that, and people, you know, this is the way most people believe today, and this is a little bit what the Bible says, and so, you know, it's some sort of recipe for, for the church in some way, or how a church should do, or what it shouldn't do, and um, as a matter of fact, Timothy tells us that, you know, it gets to a point where, where the church itself will want only to hear things that they want to hear. You know, they'll have itching ears. Remember that, that verse in Timothy? The people are going are, are gonna to want to hear God's name, but they only want to hear things that they agree with, not what the Lord has to say. They want to hear the religious talk, but um, not, not, not have any substance to it or just the substance of what they, um, what they want to hear. It, I don't know if you um, read in the Sentinel, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, there was a the homosexual pride event at the plaza down here, and I was reading the article the next day, and it was talking about, you know, one of the things they love to mention prominently there was churches there to encourage them, and uh, and one of the churches was, um, and I don't remember it was an Aptos somewhere, I think it's off of Freedom or something, and the pastor was there, and you know, they of course the paper got. They love to have that, you know, uh, they love to put that stuff in there and showing the churches that, well, would have a biblical view of that whole thing. You know, they love to put that contrary things in there. So what happens is he, he said, yeah, we, we just want people to know that, you know, God loves them the way they are. And uh, we're people of faith. And if they, you know, want to come and, and uh, to church with us, that's great. They could be around people of faith, and if they don't really have any faith, then they can just come and hang around cool people. And that was like a direct quote from him. He actually said that. You can hang around cool people if they don't have any faith. In other words, we just want you there. We don't care what you think or what you believe and uh, or what the Bible says. It's, you know, we're, we're just there uh, to meet whatever feelings or needs you have. Still happens today, guys. That's my point out of all this. And, of course, Timothy warns us, uh, Paul tells us, you know, as he writes that letter to Timothy, that the church is going to continue to move in that direction. And that's, of course, what was going on here on the nation as a whole. Now, that doesn't seem crazy enough. It's, it's not the end of it. <laughs> she said, oh, I got the money back. I'll dedicate to the Lord by making idols. And they put them up in their house. And then um, verse 5 says, the man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Now, you can, you know, if you know the Old Testament, know the things that we've been talking about here, particularly on Wednesday night, you know that, that the Lord had, had a way of doing things. He had the Ten Commandments. He had a way of approaching him. He had the tabernacle at this time where they could come and later the temple to worship him. He had this all set up. But you notice there was like little pieces taken out of that but they made something completely contrary to what God had for them. Way out of line. The priests, remember, there were supposed to be priests, but they were all to come from the family of the Levites. And then there were certain family lines that could be considered you know, are, are part of the priestly line. And one of the things that the priests would wear, and particularly the high priest would wear, would be this, this ephod. Just think of it like a vest. It was a special vest that designated the the high priest, it was a special one, and it was only to be worn by him. So a place to worship, they had things to worship, they had a priest in that 
place and he kind of had the official title of priest and the official clothes, if you would, of a priest. But it was all completely contrary to what God had established. All the little elements were there, but they were completely contrary to what the Lord said. He just made one of his own sons a priest. He kind of made this hybrid religion. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take that. And, you know, I I don't want to all that stuff. I'm just going to make it kind of fit my personality and the way I believe and the way I feel. And I'm going to take some of those things and make my own kind of religion here. And verse 6 tells us exactly that was was going on in the nation. Let's read it. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You you know, it wasn't just so much about an earthly king. There was really no sovereign king in Israel. And when God is not ruling people's hearts, then the wicked hearts of men do and anything goes see you know again the root of the problem in the nation at this time that caused that cycle and caused so many problems and got them into so much problems is clearly defined here you know at the end of verse six that everybody did what they thought was right if you feel this way, if you believe that way, then that's right. That's the truth, and that's how you live, and that's what you do. And again, that's the root of the problem, and it's exactly what's happening in our society today to a greater and greater degree. People think if you're sincere and in and, and your beliefs and you're true to them, then as long as you're true to them, just like quoting that pastor from that, you know, homosexual pride event down in our plaza down here, then everything is good and everything is right. And if you try to tell somebody that's sin, whatever it might be, then people will bite your heads off, won't they? You can't say that's sin. The Bible says that's sin, that's wrong. People go, who are you to say that? Who are you to judge all that? And you know, our response is, listen, I, I, I'm nobody. I'm no better than anybody else, but this is what the Bible teaches. This is what God has revealed to us. He says it's wrong. And when he says it's wrong, that's that's where I stand on his word. But boy, you say that sin today and people will bite your head off. They'll, They'll get offended and they'll think that you're some maniac kind of a person. That's because everybody in, well, not everybody, but there's a, a, probably the majority of the people have that same kind of philosophy. They want to do what's right in their own eyes. And whatever you think is right is absolutely right for you, and that's the end of the story, and nobody can say anything to anybody. And that's how the nation was spiraling downhill, just how our society, well, is following that same course. So we get some background of what was going on during these days of the judges. Well, if you think that's ended there, you're wrong. <laughs> Verse 7, now there was a young man from Bethlehem in, Jude, in Judah, from the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. 
So again, uh, there was this Levite. He was part of the people, uh, that group of people that were dedicated to serve in the temple. And, and some of them out of that family were even called and, and, and selected to be priests. He was part of that group there. But you notice that he, um, he wasn't living in any of the Levitical cities. Uh, Bethlehem wasn't one of the cities set aside for um, the Levites. And yet he was there. Um, there could be a number of reasons why he was there. One very clearly could have been because of the condition of the people at that time. Uh, you know, people probably weren't giving. They weren't bringing their tithes. They weren't uh, bringing their offerings. And that's what those guys lived on. If people didn't bring them, then they had to go do something to feed their families, literally. And so maybe, you know, that was part of the case, that they just, you know, the the responsibility that the people had that God gave them, they just, oh, I got too many bills. I got this. I got to spend on this. And and over and over again. And it could be that, you know, that's why he, he had to look around for something to live on. I, I like this this quote. Um, I thought it was pretty good by Warren Wiersbe. It says, when God's people grow indifferent to spiritual things, one of the first evidence evidences of their apathy is a decline in their giving to the work of the Lord. And as a result, everybody suffers. And that very well be what could have been going on here. You know, everybody's so self-absorbed, so self-centered, and it's all about me. There wasn't ever the thought of, Lord, what would you have me to do? And how should I follow you? And that very well could be why he's wandering around. Or it could have been even the fact where maybe, you know, again, he's he just doesn't want to follow the Lord, which is kind of maybe a little bit more maybe... Both of them could be true because he's not really hanging around the Levites. He's not hanging around Shiloh where the temple was. That's the city where it was in at that time. And maybe he's just, um, you know, uh, following his own hearts and doing his own things. Maybe it just goes to show that, you know, the people that should have known better, they weren't following the Lord either. It could have been he was some sort of maverick seeking to do his own thing and, uh, you always got to be careful of those kind of mavericks that just have a charismatic personality and they want to draw people to them. And, you know, they have all these things and they're so great and they talk about all the things they accomplish and everything like that. And uh, that's why they're so far ahead of everybody else. And, you know, it, it could have been certainly this man's attitude or it could have been a combination of both. It, it doesn't really tell us. But um, nonetheless, you know, he is wandering around the countryside and he runs into Micah. And verse 9 tells us, and Micah said to him, well, where do you come from? And so he said, well, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. And I am on my way to find a place to stay. And Micah said with him, well, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now here's Micah's thinking, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. 
<laughs> again, here it is. Well, man, he's better than my son because, you know, he kind of comes from that whole religious background here. So he'll even be a, a, a good luck, a better good luck charm to me. You know, he's kind of religious, so he's perfect. He'll give me everything I want. Everything will be good for me because now I have a, a, you know, a more spiritual kind of connection with this guy, far better than my son. And that was his thinking. Now I'll have all these things so that I can live my life and it can be profitable. My life can be comfortable. I've done these religious things. You notice how he uses again in verse 13, I know that the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Again, translated, you know, Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on uh, how you want to say that or how we think it is. But again, that the proper name of the Heavenly Father. That's what he said his name was to, to Moses. So he's using the name of the Lord. And yet it's more like he's using God as his, you know, oh, it'll be a, it'll be good luck for me. You know, it'll be comfortable for me now. I'll be profitable. Things will be work well for me because I've done these religious things. How tragic this kind of thinking is. Micah is expect, expecting God to bless him because he was doing these religious duties. And, and he thought, man, certainly God is happy when we do religious things. And I can't help but think of how many people just in our community alone just kind of live in that way. You, you know, you see them when they go by one of the, uh, the, the you know, the churches, they're, they're making the sign of the cross. If they go by a cross somewhere, they're making the sign of the cross. You know, they're, they're, uh, you know they show up for this, they do this. It's, it's, it's almost like they want God to be their, their lucky rabbit's foot. I'll do these things and I'll just do enough where God won't be mad at me is their thinking, right? I know some of these religious things and, well, something bad might happen to me if I, if I don't do these things or if I, you know, get, or I do some things I know I shouldn't do, so I'll kind of balance it off with doing some good things once in a while. And that's kind of their thinking, and that's Micah's thinking right here. I mean, he's living it out. He doesn't want to have the Lord in his life. He wants to have religious things in his life. He wants to use the name of God, but he doesn't want to the name of God to be a part of him and, and the Lord's plan. He wants to use the name, but make his own kind of religion, his own kind of way and what's comfortable and nice and, 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 and good in his thinking. And, and again, sadly, that's the way a, a, a lot of people think today. And they just think that, you know, it's my good versus bad. I'm not such a bad person. There's a lot of persons worse than me. And, I, you know, I do some good things, and here it is. And if it balance it all out, we'll all come out pretty good because I know there's people worse than me. And they realize that's not even how the Lord looks at it. <laughs> that's not even, you know, that's a person's thinking. That's not how the Lord looks at it. He looks at it and says, you know, you're all a bunch of miserable, rotten sinners, and I understand that, but I sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin that you might be in right relation with me. And if you receive that free gift of salvation offered to you through faith, then you'll be in right relation with me. And there's nothing you can do to me to love you more. You don't have to earn anything. It's a free gift. But people don't want to receive, oh, it'll be too binding and I'll have too much. I don't know what they think. All sorts of stuff. And they think they can somehow 
you know, bargain with God by doing a few things here and somehow that'll, that'll work out. And it, it never will. You can see it in Micah's life. Well, we'll see how it works out in Micah's life. <laughs> Don't take my word for it. Let's read how it, how it worked, how it happens. So this is what his life is now set up on. First stealing his mom's money all the way to where we are right now, okay? And verse 1 of chapter 18 reminds us again what the state was. And again, we don't know when this, these stories happen in, in the 300 plus, almost 400 years of the rule of the judges. You, you know, it could have been in the beginning, could have been in the middle, could have been in the end, could have been anywhere in between. It could have been all in different places. It's just the idea we get a flavor for what the heart of the people was like. And verse 1 says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Again, no God on the throne. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. Okay, this takes us back to the the time of Joshua. Joshua, at the very end of the book of Joshua, chapter 19, well, not to the very end, but close to it, they, they divided up the land before the Lord. Before the Lord, they said, okay, Lord, how do you want the people to divide up in the land? Remember, everybody could trace their lineage back to one of 12 sons. So all the members of that family that could trace their family lineage back to a man named Simeon, well, they all lived in this area. All the people that could trace their family lines back into Judah lived here and so on. There was 12 of them. Well, God had divided the land. Dan did have an inheritance. It was right here. It was spelled out for them. That was a land they were supposed to get. The Lord said, it's it's yours. You just have to go take it. God put each group of people where he wanted them. But this group, these guys from Dan, well, they had rejected that. They didn't like the land that the Lord had given them for one reason or another. and, and, And they just really didn't care what the Lord said. Maybe it was too much work. Maybe it was too hard. Maybe the enemies were too tough, they thought. Or, man, this is just too much work doing it your way, Lord. There's got to be an easier way. Isn't that what causes most of the problems in our society today? People that kind of think that way? It's just too hard. I'm not going to do it. Oh, it's too restricting. They just don't know the Lord. And again, instead of submitting to God's will, they wanted to do their own thing. As a matter of fact, you know what they're going to do. We'll see. They're going to, they're going to go to a whole different place. That the thing's going to look so much better. So instead of submitting to, to God's will, they're, they're just doing their own thing. And, and again, when people have that attitude, I'm going to do it my way and what I think is right, they'll do almost anything to get that. That's the problem with that kind of thinking. And there was no king, it says in verse 1, that would allow to rule over them. They just wouldn't allow anybody to rule over them. They wanted to follow their own ideas and their own passion. And so when that happens, well, this is what happens to those kind of people. So verse 2, the, the children of Dan sent five men of their families from the territory, men of valor from uh, Zorah and Eshtol, to spy out the land and search for it. And they said, go and search the land so that... They went to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of uh, Micah, and lodged there. And while, verse 3 says, while they were there at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. 
And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? Where are, uh, what are you doing in this place? What do you have here? And he said to him, thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. So, so these guys were, were spying out the land. They were trying to figure out which way to go, where's a good place for them. They didn't like what God had given them. And they're somewhere in these mountains here in Ephraim. And they're, they're, they're heading up that way, which we'll see here in a little bit. And uh, they talk to this Levite. Now, obviously, Bethlehem is down here. And so, I can't see it here, but somewhere right here. So obviously, these guys somehow must have run into this Levite before in Bethlehem, and they, they knew him. They recognized his voice, and somehow they knew him. And so he tells them uh, the story. Hey, this guy named Micah, you know, I was looking for a place, and this Micah came out and said, hey, I'll hire you. You can be my priest. I'll give you, a little, I'll give you uh, some money to live on. I'll give you new clothes, and I'll provide all the food that you, that you need, and, uh, you know, you can just work for me as my priest. Now, just a, I want to take a, a, a moment and digress on that a little bit. But, you know, it's sad because that's the way some, you know, I feel like some church bodies kind of do it that way. They want people to work for them. I, um, you know, it's a great temptation for them to want to tell, with, tell the people what they want to hear. I, you know, I was talking to not too long ago, you know, uh, somebody else in another church, and they were saying, yeah, the pastor we hired didn't really work out you know we thought he was going to be good but we didn't so we had to let him go and now we're, we're hiring another pastor and i said you fired the pastor he said yeah and i i can't i don't know there was just something not that some guys don't need to be moved out of ministry don't misunderstand me because i'm sure there is at some point there but you know a lot of times congregations keep moving through pastors until they they find one that they like and and I only say that as a you know kind of a word of that you know that kind of same kind of rough philosophy sometimes even happens today sadly in the church you know uh, we want one that we all vote on and like and I just I, I don't know it just seems like it's uh, kind of a difficult thing it doesn't seem much different and and some not that you can compare Micah with <laughs> a lot of the churches are pretty good but still the whole idea of Employing him in that same kind of vein doesn't really, well, anyway, I digress off that. But so he tells him, basically, he hired me. Here's what's going on for him. And so they ask him, verse 5, so they said to him, please inquire of God. That's the five men who are spying out, looking for a new place for the whole tribe of Dan to live. Please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but this thing um, is wrong on a number of levels. First, they asked to hear from the Lord for a guy that doesn't know or serve the Lord. I mean, he's willing to be a private priest with a bunch of idols in a shrine from kind of more of a wealthy guy that's willing to support him. His deal isn't serving the Lord, because if he was, he would be somewhere where the Levites were and following what the Lord instructed him to do. He is willing to sell himself, in a sense, to be a priest to this guy. And, you know, so asking a guy who doesn't know the Lord or serve the Lord for a blessing of the Lord or inquiring from God... Um, 
It's kind of like this. Maybe our, back to our illustration. It's kind of like maybe those drug cartel guys, you know, uh, that are giving money to the church and, you know, building them churches and something, going down there and asking a, a blessing from the priests who work for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just something wrong with that. Um, again, if a person wanted to meet with God and hear from the Lord and, and uh, you know, wanted to get guidance and, in, and inquiry from the Lord, the Lord made a very clear way of doing that. The tabernacle was in Shiloh. They could go there and meet with the Lord. They could hear from the Lord. Um, but that's not what these guys wanted. They wanted to come to God on their own terms. And so they got an answer from a guy that actually went to God on his own terms, which is really not the God of the Bible. Again, it, you know, but again, that's not anything foreign to us today. You know, it's one of the hardest things that, you know, you have to do as a pastor. People will come and ask, you know, what should we do, what the situation is, and you know, we're in the circumstances and, you know, to the best of my ability, I try to tell them this is what the Bible says and this is what Scripture teaches us. Here's the principles God's laid out for us and maybe in those areas. And I know they see that, but then I also realize that, you know, sometimes you look at them and you think that they have really no intention on doing that. They kind of want to hear from the Lord in one sense. They want, they just want somebody to bless what they want to do or give them the okay that they can you know get feel good about what they're already planning on doing they, they really don't want to hear what the lord has to say they just they want to feel good about what they've already decided they're going to do and that's a very dangerous place to get in you, you know where you kind of think you can seek god a little bit and ask Oh, you think this is a good idea? Well, that person's kind of a Christian, you know, and they know God, and so I'll ask them what they think. And if they say yes, then you somehow you people think that's an approval from the Lord. And and again, it, it's it's not. And second of all, this guy tells them God's going to bless them when he never even went to God to ask him. He never went to the Lord, right? Which again reminds us: beware of asking what the Lord would have you to do from people who might appear godly but whose lives are living contrary to the word of god you know you don't want to ask somebody hey what do you, would you pray for me or what do you think uh the lord would have me to do when you look at their life and you realize well their life is not really honoring or they're living contrary to what god's word says that i know if you ask a person like that you will always get the wrong information you will always get the wrong information these guys will eventually get the land, as we'll see, but they'll never be blessed. It wasn't God's intention for them to ever do that. And so, again, a couple things wrong with that. You know, wanting to come to God on your own terms and then asking somebody for God's blessing whose life isn't living according to God's word. Never get a right answer there. Well, in this case, these two groups deserve each other. So the five men departed and went to Laish. And they saw the people who were there and how they dwelt safely in a manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. And they had no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far, uh, uh, they were far from the Sidonians and they had no ties with anyone. 
And then the spies came back to their brethren in Zohar and Eshtol and said to their brethren, What is your report? And they said, Arise, let's go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed it's very good. Would you, not, uh, would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter to possess the land. When we go, we will come to a secure people with a large land, for God has given it into our hands, the place uh, where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. So they come back. We found a place to live. Let's go get it. And so, again, here's our little map. They were down here. This is the land that God gave them. We don't like it. We don't want to do it this way. Whatever reason they, they had, and they're going to go all the way up to up at the top over there, and they're saying, you know what, what God has for it, I just don't like that whole thing. We're just going to do it this way. And he said, come on, we found a, a great place, a wonderful place. They don't have any protection at all, and it's much better than the place that the Lord gave us. Uh, now, uh, you know, and this is where it'll eventually end up. So instead of taking their inheritance down here where they're supposed to, they're going to go way up there. That just gives you kind of a rough map. You know, with the Sea of Galilee, this is the Sea of Galilee. It gives you some idea of what, what that looks like. But, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, it, by the way, it is a very beautiful place in Israel. Uh, you go there today, it's probably, the, in my opinion, the prettiest place in Israel. There's a very huge natural spring that just, just you know, I, I don't know if it's thousands of gallons a minute come out of this, out of this rock. I mean, it's just a beautiful spring a lot of trees there's a lot of desert and in my opinion as far as scenically wise ugly places in israel this is probably the the prettiest one of the prettiest places a lush place and watered but again they were just looking in on the outside they didn't like what god's plan was from so they're looking for doing their own thing and god never assigned that area to them nor did he go tell them to wipe out these inhabitants this is always a recipe for disaster when the grass looks greener on the other side oh it's a better place to live we'll go over there and everything will be wonderful and all the problems that we have here oh they'll be left behind and we'll be now in this beautiful wonderful place and all these problems are gone and how many people you know that have kind of done that and took off and the grass is greener over there and and uh, you know didn't you know seek the lord or didn't want to know all those things they just had their mind made up the grass is greener only to find out how terrible a place it was and all their problems followed them with them you know it's just again not wanting to hear from the lord and not desiring to doing enough religious things but this was the heart of the people during the book of the judges everybody doing what's right in their own eyes so let's go let's wipe these guys out and take it over so let's read what happens, verse 11, chapter 18. And 600 men of the family of the Danites, Danites went from there, from Zoal and Eshtal, armed with weapons of war. Then they went up and encamped in Kirjath-Jerim in Judah, for they had called uh, that place Ma'an-Dan to this day. There it is, west of Kirjath-Jerim. And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Verse 14, then the five men who had gone to spy out the country in Laish answered and said to their brethren, do you know that there are in these houses an, eph an eph ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? 
Now, therefore, consider what you should do. So they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. The 600 men armed with their weapons of war and who were the children of Dan stood by the entrance of the gate. Then the five men who had gone uh, to spy out the land went up, entering there. They took the carved images, the ephod, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with uh, the 600 men who were uh, armed with weapons of war. When these men went to Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, and the household idols, and the molded image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Be quiet, put your hand over your mouth, and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest to one house, uh, to the household of one man, or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? So the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image, and took his place among the people. And they turned and departed and put the, their little ones, their livestock, and goods in front of them. So again, we see this Levite, uh, Jonathan now, who has the opportunity to be a part of a bigger congregation, if you would, says, great, let's go, you know. Uh, 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 again, oh yeah, so I could be a priest over all you guys instead of this one guy's house? Yeah, let's get all the stuff. Let's get all of our stuff that we worship. I'll gather it all up and I'll pack up and I'll head out with you guys. Again, this is a heart of a man who is all about self and not about the Lord's will. Uh, Again, he just wants to go where he'll look successful or he'll be loved, or he'll get somehow this, or he'll get something out of that. Uh, and, and, and he'll go with a people who want some sort of religion, don't want to worship the Lord on his terms, but they want to have some religious things to feel good about themselves. And, and so these two are match made, well, not in heaven, probably hell, <laughs> more, more likely, right? A guy that just appealing to his ego that doesn't really care about the Lord, he'll do whatever it is that pleases the people and the people that want to do a little religious stuff, but they certainly don't want to worship the Lord on his terms and come to him on his terms. Oh, no, no, no. We have our own ideas. We have our own thoughts. And so, hey, I'll give you that and you'll get what you want. Great. And so they all kind of pack up the stuff and, and, and head out of Micah's house. Verse 22, and when they were a good way from Mike, the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan. So they turned around and said to Micah, what ails you that you have gathered such a company? And so he said, you have taken away my gods, which I made and the priest and have gone away. Now, what more do I have? How can you say to me, what ails you? (laughs) So Micah finds out that these guys had taken his stuff and his priests and all that stuff. So he gets a posse, you know, probably all his neighbors and everything around. And he chases down these Danites that are going there and and goes after get his stuff and basically says to him, you guys stole my gods. It just it's funny when your God can be stolen. 
you know, it just shows the, the folly and the tragedy of religion without the true and living God, that your gods can be stolen. And if your God can be stolen, you're in trouble, right? But people do all the time. Their, their car is their God. Their job is their God. Their house is their God. This person is their God. And so they can get sick. It can get stolen. It could catch on fire, you know, the house that they've worked so hard for, you know, their whole life, and they've invested their time and money, and it gets caught up in some wildfire or whatever it is. And, and then all of a sudden, what do they have? What they've invested their life and their resources and their year in, their years of, and time and everything, just like Micah did, then it could just blow away as dust because it's just all stuff at the end of the day. I, I like this quote. It says, idolaters worship gods they can carry, but Christians worship a God who carries them. And isn't that contrary really to our Heavenly Father who we look to follow, who loves us, who can't be moved by heaven and earth or there's no power or nothing that, that could come against his will, his power, his design. And so we worship and look to him. But when people look to their own religions and their own ways and worship stuff and things and throw a little religion in there, I'm telling you, you, you know, it's all a house of cards. And it can come tumbling down so easy. And, and then a person becomes like Micah. They're left with nothing and everything seems to be robbed and all that he thought would be good for him all comes out to be blown away in the wind. In verse 25, and the children of Dan said to him, do not let your voices, do not let your voices be heard among us, lest any angry man fall upon you and lose your life with the lives of, uh, with lives of your household. Then the children of Dan went their way and Micah saw that they were too strong for him, so he turned and went back to his house. And again, we see how a group of people can get when the Lord doesn't have any part of their lives. Hey, listen, you're, we could take whatever we want, and we're stronger than you, so too bad for you. And that's exactly the heart of the people living in the nation you know, if you're rougher and tougher and have more soldiers and better arms, then they're just going to take whatever they want, and they could care less what anybody else thinks. Again, it just gives you the heart of people when they're not worshiping, not looking to the Lord, that they'll, they'll do all sorts of stuff that's just wrong and bad. And, and they don't care. Hey, we're stronger than you. If you open your mouth again, somebody might get mad at you and just cut you all down and kill you, just like that. It tells you the heart of men who forsake the Lord, what they'll do. Well, let's finish this up, verse 27. So they took the things Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him and went to Laish to a people quiet and secure, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, Sidon so they were probably too far away to get the news to them. And they had no ties with anyone. And it was a valley that belongs to Beth Rahab. So they built the city and dwelt there. And they called the name of the city Dan after, their, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. Or Jacob was, right? The name God changed him to Israel. However, the name of the city uh, formally was Laish. Verse 30, Then the children of Dan set up for themselves 
the carved image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house, and, and I'm sorry, all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So they wipe out the unsuspecting people. They kind of start their own religion, and it becomes this center of worship that, of idolatry that never leaves until they finally are just overtaken by the Assyrians. And yet, like the last verse, all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. There was the truth. There was right. There was a true and living God that loved them, that gave them the plan, that delivered and saved their fathers, that had sent them judges and heroes right there. They could have gone to him. They could have, you know, uh, worshipped him. They could have had things go well in their lives and had that intimacy and that relationship, but they chose to forsake him and worship and serve their own desires and their own plans and their own passion. And it just brought pain on them. And again, the warning is that that stuff will always, you know, just bring back horrible returns. It'll crash and burn. And we need to remind people, you know, here's the true and living God you need to serve. And he loves you. And he's got a plan for you. And anything he says, hey, this is not a good thing for you. You shouldn't do this. It's only because of his love. It's not that he's restricting this. He knows what hurts us and will be wrong for us and it'll cause us the most pains and he knows what's best for us and just like any good parent would not let their children just kind of run out in the street on east lake or something like that because they're good they could get well the i want to play in the street what's wrong with that well there's cars going by they're not looking for kids and you love them and you put restrictions there and say no 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 we don't want to go there and it's not a restriction of 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 putting something bad on them it's only for love and the lord says listen there's a cliff on the other side i put this fence up here because if you take you you head in that direction you're going to bring great harm on yourself and he does that only out of love for us and we need to pass that message along amen let's pray father again as we look at this a very sad time during the history of the nation lord kind of reveals the hearts of the people through these stories here and Lord, what they were willing to do when they forsake you and just kind of sprinkle a little religion in there to make them feel good. It just never works out, Lord. You want our hearts. You don't want our, our 10 minutes here or an hour here, a few bucks there, or helping somebody on the street corner there. You, you know, Lord, you, you just, you love us so much, you want our whole lives, Lord. And when we give that, Father, we find out we get so much more in return than we ever began to give, Lord. It's that relationship, that intimacy that you want to have with us, Lord. Help us to be those people that always want to seek that out. Lord, help us to always move away from that self-will and self-desires that will just take us down roads we never thought we'd go down. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and you have great plans for us, Lord. May we encourage, Lord, to always walk with you, Lord, and trust you. And even if it seems difficult or, 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 or you know, the odds seem to be stacked against us or we can't see how it's going to work out or we don't know how that's going to do, Lord, that's where you trust us, uh, want us to trust you and walk in faith. Help us to be those people that trust you, that you know 
everything that's going to happen, that you've seen it all, that you got it all planned out, and we can walk with you in trust. Help us to, to do that, Lord. Be people of faith, Lord, rather than be people of self-will and our own plans and our own thoughts, Lord. Help us to uh, strengthen our walk with you, Lord, for we ask this in Jesus' name.